Hey everybody, this is Ryan Avilas. I'm the owner of 80 Cinemas and 90 Cinemas and my weight loss transformation page at Working on Ryan. I am here with the beautiful, beautiful and obnoxious <laughs> Ascend Yourself Alley. Here I am. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> there you are. Allie, you want to tell them the uh, the title that you came up with for this episode? Yeah, the title is Family Matters. We are going to talk about our families and how they have impacted our weight journey or weight loss or weight gain, whatever, journey. And just so you know, not the 90s sitcom Family Matters. We're actually just talking about a title. We're not talking about, you know, Steve Urkel. Even though that'd be fun. That would be fun. If Jaleel White was to come on here, I mean, it wouldn't make any sense, but it'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Allie, why don't you take us through what it's like to grow up in an Italian household, food-wise? Well, I mean, my angle where I was coming from was suggesting this episode was not, was completely not food wise it was more of like the emotional stuff um you know oh, that, I was way off yeah that goes on in our childhoods and even though we both grew up in Italian families we both grew up in a very different circumstances very so um you know we talk a lot about how people who look at fat people think they just can't stop eating or that they just love cheeseburgers and we say yes, but also no, because there's a much deeper issue. And I think that, you know, it starts somewhere. Yeah, but, you know, when people say, oh, um, they look at people and they go, wow, you know, that guy's really fat. He must eat just like a lot of pasta, like a shit ton of pasta or pizza. Yes, that may be true. He is definitely overeating. And yes, he has some deep rooted issues for sure. But. As we both know, everybody's different, and genetics do play a big part in some of the stuff also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because everybody's made up completely different. If everybody, if everybody was the same, you know, we would all look the same. And if anybody had a choice, we'd all, you know, pick, I would at least pick the body of a Greek god. I'm sure you'd pick the body of, like, some type of swimsuit model or whatever, you know, what women love and think. So, you know, everybody would just pick the perfect thing if that was the case, and... When we're we're all very very different, we're all made up very differently. So that's yeah, not a hundred. That. That's not a hundred percent. Actually, that's not remotely true. But you could have a supermodel body and be miserable. So, like for me, whatever Absolutely. body you're gonna feel good in is my choice. You know. Oh, without a doubt. Even at my heaviest, yes. Was I suffering from depression? Sure. But were there times where I was happy? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't the La Miserable that walked around and was like, oh, there goes Ryan. You know, he's 574 pounds. Man, he's miserable. You know, in a lot of the pictures that I have, yes, I have like, you could see like, you know, there's something going on there. But a lot of other pictures I have, I'm smiling and I look happy. And I, yeah, you know. Same with me. But people actually thought I was miserable because I was miserable. It was very hard to. There were some situations where it was not difficult to hide it and then most of the situations people could tell there's certain circumstances that we you know when you're that heavy that you go through life and and things suck you know carrying around all that weight yes it sucks mm -hmm. but it doesn't change who you are inside 
It might a little bit if you fix your depression issues and you actually face your demons, sure. But person- it changes you inside a lot of it. I I disagree with that because there's still I'm still the same person that I was when I was 555 574 pounds. Sorry, 550 555 sounded better. 574 pounds. I'm still the same person. I still am that person. A lot. I have to don't disagree get me wrong, with you. The way my mentality is. I have a different mentality. I have a different mindset. But personality, characteristics wise, I'm the same person. You just, me and you are saying the same thing. You I have do the same, change over time. Right. But I still have the same sense of humor. I still have the same, I still have the same temper. So there's. No, you don't. You're not as angry as you were. When I first met you, you were angry. I'm angry now because you give me nothing but Ajita. <laughs> All right. Let's just talk about talk about our families. Do you want to go first or should I go first? Oh, please. Please. Please enlighten us with where you come from. <laughs> so. Start out um, with the planet. Leave me alone. So my family growing up, um, I had everything like every advantage but um what was different about me is that I was born with a hearing loss so from jump I was different Mm -hmm. I was um excitable difficult I was a child who had needs now so let me let me ask you this now you were born this is very important because I didn't realize we're going to dive into this um for anybody that's listening that don't know about your disabilities. Um, can I call them that? I don't mean to like offend you, baby. You know that. I, mean, I guess. Well, I don't know. I don't really feel like that. Well, they're not. I shouldn't say disabilities because maybe that's the wrong term. I don't want to offend you. What are you getting at? What I'm getting at is um, when you were you were born with this. Mm-hmm. Was it something that like they knew right away? No. Or they had to figure this out? They figured it out because I would just like not answer them. Okay, so that's okay. So that's what they would like call you and call you, and you just wouldn't respond. Yeah, I'd like be running on the beach towards the dock to jump off of it, and they'd be screaming my name, and I would keep running. Really? Yeah. Okay. See, this is something, guys. I'm with her a year and a year and four months, and this is something that I I know I'm a shitty boyfriend. I never. I that's something I did not know. Yeah. So I'm learning. Okay. So, go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. So off the bat. I I had more needs than normal. I was more difficult than normal. I required my parents to bend, move, and shake in different ways. And now every child does that because every child has different needs, right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one thing that impacted my interaction with my family and the way I was viewed. Um, Can I ask you this? Did it take a while for um after they found out that you had a hearing issue did they did it take a while for them to like figure out like obviously well you obviously needed hearing hearing aids Uh but did it take a while for you to she's yawning obviously i'm boring her um did it take a while for them to get you hearing aids so you can hear and you can do all that or did it happen later when did that happen no you can get hearing aids really fast okay they don't take that long okay um but you know Part of that process was them deciding if they thought it was best that I was part of the deaf community or part of the hearing community. And that's a completely different discussion because it's one or the other, not both. And, right. and I mean, 
people with cochlear implants have both, but there's a lot of controversy. It's it's a very different topic. But so that was another decision. And basically they decided to mainstream me. So I was with kids like, you know, everybody else was. And I feel like everybody else feels. I don't feel really very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing. The the rest of my upbringing now my parents were together i think until i was 10 10 and then they officially divorced when i was 13 and from 10 years old on it was very rough because i got to see things i was the older one um and i got to see things from a very different point of view i got to see who my mom was as an individual mm-hmm. who my dad was as an individual and there were times where that was a learning process and there were times where that was disappointing because I didn't understand that my parents were two different people. I was a kid. I was naive. I didn't realize, you know, like people struggle and this parent isn't acting this way because of you. They're acting this way because they're struggling. They're going through divorce. They're, you know, all that stuff. Sure. So that definitely lasted made a lasting impression and then you know my extended family through that divorce I again was the older child I was very observant I knew a lot of what was going on and that I probably shouldn't have and um I got to learn who my extended family was so now I'm gonna put you in my shoes I'm 13 14 15 it didn't really stop the the um the learning i'm gonna say didn't really stop from 10 years old on um so i am 10 11 12 13 14 15 learning still and watching everything that's going on and i'm internalizing it because i didn't really know what else i was supposed to do you know i was kind of like oh wow this goes this way and that goes that way and what were you what were you learning what were you witnessing were you witnessing were you i was witnessing, witnessing dysfunction what were you witnessing you know yeah i was witnessing of course dysfunction i mean anybody who any kid who is going through divorce is witnessing dysfunction and is witnessing people be ugly and um yeah. you know when you're a kid you're naive again you don't understand that people struggle you don't understand where people come from you just think that they're acting ugly mm-hmm and again you internalize it and you can't you can't you know at that age of development make sense of it like you can an adult so as i internalized it i didn't really feel like being vocal was going to impact anything or change anything okay so i not only internalized, you know, all of my thoughts about everything that I was seeing and everything that I was witnessing. And trust me, there were times where I would erupt at a family dinner and destroy the whole thing and, you know, like be a be a shithead teenager. You throw your fits. Oh, yeah. I left. I would walk somewhere like I, it was not not the best time at all. I was not everybody's favorite person for a very long time. And... um but I had my reasons. I had very good reasons because right. I, I saw people and I and maybe they thought because I was young, I wasn't seeing it, but I was seeing it. Yeah. So 
after I'm internalizing it now and trying to, I guess, make sense of it for myself while not trying to upset, you know, one of my parents with it all because they're already having a hard time being a single parent. Sure. And then I started bottling my emotions. So I wouldn't talk to anybody because, again, I didn't feel like it was going to impact anything. I didn't feel like I would be heard because, again, we're, we're, we're talking about a, a shithead teenager that's cursing the entire family out and walking out the door. No one wants to hear me. They don't want to understand where I'm coming from. Mm. They just were looking at me like a degenerate, and I can understand that. Sure. So when you now when you say you internalized that, and you started keeping it to yourself, is that when the weight started to pile on? Yeah, around, um, I want to say in fourth grade was when I started to get pretty chubby. And that was a year before my parents announced their divorce. So it's very possible, knowing me as a person now, who I am, that I I knew before I knew. So is it safe to say that everything that happened with your family, like your mom and dad's divorce... Everything that you saw, all the dysfunction with everything, not just with your mom and your dad, with your family as well, mm-hmm. was that mainly the reason why you decided, well, not that you decided, but you just started to put the weight on? Yeah, and I, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it until, you know, two years ago. I had no idea. I just thought, you know, like, I I guess, you know what it was? I didn't think anything. I was... I was blissfully ignorant. Like, I was, like... You didn't vocalize it. No, not even that. It was more or less like I didn't think about it because I didn't want to. And I was very numb to the point after this... Now we're fast-forwarding. I was numb to the point where whatever, you know, like, it didn't matter. Nothing really mattered. And as I started to get older and get through my 20s, you know, I had... Well, let me preface that. So now I'm internalizing things. I'm um, not vocalizing my emotions or how I feel because I don't think it's going to matter. And then as a result of that, you pick emotional partners or relationships Mm -hmm. based on on that baseline. Right. So I then continue to pick people who I don't feel like what I say matters and I don't feel like they have my back. And I don't feel like they understand me. And I don't feel like they care as much as they should. Because I had been living a life from 10 years old up until when I started dating when I was 18. Eight years straight of feeling like that. So then I I, I just kept busting forward with it. So I feel like a lot of these things shaped my weight issues because I... They were they were compensatory methods. I I was compensating for the way I was feeling by eating, and you I was shoving food down my throat so I would suppress my voice. Eating your emotions. Yeah, because I it didn't matter what I said. That's definitely a form of emotional eating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of what went on definitely was like the root of of my emotional eating, my weight issues, my refusal to acknowledge or refusal to be aware of um and my choice to to remain numb because it was easier you know a lot of people 
when we talk about like emotional eating um, and eating to suppress our feelings, um, I, I don't know about you. There's different forms, right? Mm, definitely. But there are some where, and I'm and I I suffer from this greatly. Um, when we emotionally eat, because I didn't discover until I was <laughs> actually my ex-wife made me aware that I was an emotional eater. Um, but yeah, someone else made me aware too. But um, it wasn't me on my own. You know, when she when she told me that, I was just like, "Fuck's emotional eating." And then she was like, oh, you eat to suppress your feelings. And for the longest time, I hated her for that because she was right and she brought it out of me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I wasn't ready to face. So and that was at the age of like 28. But it needed to be said. You know, it did because it was getting worse. Um, but I don't know. Going back to what we were saying about emotional eating. There's a feeling that you get when you emotional eat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if you feel it or you get it, but it's like, it's better than. It, it's a feeling like a like kind of like a hit, like a high, of when you eat. What, like after you eat. Like well, as you're eating, the sensation. Like, See, you and I are a lot different. That's what I'm saying. So there's different because forms. I didn't ever get that. Right. I would just literally binge. I would stuff myself until I was so full it hurt. But see, okay, so you didn't you didn't feel any satisfaction afterwards. No, it was I was never satisfied. Oh no, it was see, never enough. Oh, it was never enough. No, so you could just keep going and going and going until you I got would, sick until my stomach hurt. Yeah. Yeah. See, no, I I would I would be comfortable, and you know I would go through the drive through of Taco Bell, and get myself like twenty bucks worth of food, which is a lot for Taco Bell. I would get like two quesaritos, like you know a Fritos a Fritos burrito. And like two caramel empanadas and a large Mountain Dew. That was That's exactly an order, actually. And I would try to kill it all in one sitting. And if I couldn't, I would wait 20 minutes. And after I waited that 20 minutes and I finished it, I got like some type of like satisfaction of complete, like completion. Like I, I did something, like I reached a goal. Well, did your mom always make sure that you finished your food before you got up from the table? She didn't have to worry about that with me, but we'll go into that. Yeah. Um... But it, it was, it, that's what I'm saying. Like everybody has different things that they, that they not, I don't want to say crave, but it, it, it's like something that you're like, you're aimed to do your goal. Even though you weren't ever satisfied, your goal was to eat until your stomach actually hurt, which you succeeded. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking that. No, you, you it weren't thinking that, but like, that's the hmm, actuality of it. I still want this or hmm, I still want that or hmm, I wonder what else there is. You know what I mean? It was never like I'm going to eat until my stomach hurts. Yeah. I, I, listen, again, there's different forms. Yeah. So um, I just learned a lot in, in therapy um, because eventually it did get to a point where I couldn't like handle myself anymore. Like I couldn't do it and I knew I was miserable and I just didn't want to be miserable Mm. so I go to therapy I learn a lot about you know eating and my emotions and all this other stuff and a lot of it it's kind of funny it's not really funny but like it's so funny how the events in your life shape like how you cope who you are what you do Mm -hmm. and 
all of those things mattered, even though for me, I would just brush them off and be like, oh, that was the past. Like, you know, like they used to say this and, and that doesn't bother me anymore now. But it does. Bo- it did bother me. Sure, because it's going to shapeshift you into what you are today. Right. So now knowing this and now understanding this, I was able to interact with my family differently because up until that point, when all like me erupting at the dinner table and storming out stopped, it stopped because I stopped thinking it mattered what I did because it didn't because it would still happen. They would still trigger me and I would still go off. So like it, it started to be a cycle and I started to realize no matter what I do, they're still going to be that and they're still going to upset me. Well, I'm sure because of what was going on, I'm sure your relationships with your family also went in different ways. Yeah. So that after that point is when I started to I basically gave up and I stopped caring. I started eating more and it just kind of got worse and worse from that point on. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's again, that's more emotional eating. But you're not aware. Well, maybe now you are aware. Now you're saying looking back and you're like, I don't give a shit like it is what it is. You know, this is who I am, which is really not the case. You know, we just get to, I want to say almost like a rock bottom to the point where we're just like, oh, we don't care. This is who we are. This is how I'm going to be. And this is just the way the fuck that it is. And that's not Yeah, because you can only ram your head into a brick wall before you start bleeding. This is very true. And then you have to protect yourself. True. So now, now that I've learned about all of this and I have seen the way it's impacted me and impacted my life. I do things differently. I interact differently. If I have a problem, I set a boundary and I speak on it instead of just brushing it off and being like, oh, you know, like whatever. Like that didn't bother me that much. It was not that big of a deal. Like it doesn't matter what I say anyway because it's still going to happen. I don't tell myself that anymore because by setting those boundaries, by now vocalizing and saying what I need to say – I'm protecting myself. I've helped. I've reduced my anxiety greatly. I'm not depressed anymore. And by doing that, people either won't talk to me or they will and they'll be careful. So that's what I've seen is like, you know, the relationships with the people in my family have changed. Some for the better, some maybe really not. But but that beca- that comes from your strength. Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. I gave them a choice. Right. I said, listen, this is what I can and cannot tolerate. If you continue to choose to do this, I have to make a choice to protect myself because I, you know, I can't continue to let your behavior affect me. It's not just you really protecting yourself. It's it's really you. Well, it is protecting yourself, but you're also helping yourself because you're not trying to go backwards. And the way that they are. And the way it negative, negatively, am I saying that negatively? Negatively. Negatively. My God, I can't even say that word. Negatively affects you and what it does to you. So that's your way of putting your foot down and being like, absolutely not. We're not going this route. I need to be better for myself. And that's just the way it is. Well, yeah, I started to realize that, you know, it does matter what I say. And it does you know, I, my, my self-confidence started to go up. And, you know, there's a certain mask we can wear around people. People always thought I was confident. They thought I had it together. I had a master's degree. I was married. I had a house. Like, I had everything that I should have had. Right. And it was more of just, like, 
going through the motions because I was trying to maintain some sense of control. Mm -hmm. So I guess where I'm getting at with that is, you know, I started to really care about myself and, and value the fact that like, no, this does bother me. And I do have a voice. And as a result of that, you begin to release the resistance, which is the weight on you. Absolutely. And it, it no longer serves you anymore to carry it. And honestly, Ali, I, I think that as of right now, at the point that you're at with the weight loss that you have, I couldn't be more proud because you did do a complete turnaround and you know your worth and you know how to go out and get what you're worth. Yeah. So I'm very proud of you. And not take any more bullshit. Well, you don't have to take any more bullshit, but please just don't give any more bullshit. <laughs> What's your story? Um, okay, so mine is very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in the projects of Brooklyn, which I know you don't consider Brooklyn, but everybody knows that I come from Brooklyn, New York, which is Starrett City. Um, what don't I consider? Well, they're projects, but you're like, well, these are really nice projects. Oh, well, because the projects I used to go to with my ex-husband were not really nice projects. They were garbage. Let me tell you something. You go into these fucking bu these buildings, I guarantee you. You know what it's like to see at, at five years old a drawing of a suspect of a rapist right above the elevator button? Like, and no, not know, but not, I know what that's like as a 20-something-year-old, and it, it sucks. Yeah, so, it, you know, it's just, you know. But anyway, um, I grew up in an apartment building. And my dynamic was always close, my family dynamic. So, for an example, I lived on the 11th floor with my mother, my Aunt Carol, and my grandmother. On the 6th floor, I had my Aunt Ro and her boyfriend. Then on the 15th floor, I had my aunt and my uncle with their two kids, which were my cousins. Then on the 12th floor, I had my other aunt and her four kids and then that's it so my whole family was there yeah in one building in one building so anytime we wanted to see each other all we did was take an elevator or take the staircase very very simple right um and every weekend we always got together always you know you know saw sundays it was had pasta you know and for people that know, like, when they hear my last name, like, yes, I am Spanish. My father's Puerto Rican. My mother's Italian. But I grew up with Saw Sundays because my, my dad was not around. Um, and I won't go into... I don't like to, like, air out his story that much out of respect. Um, I will say that he wasn't around. Um, you know, and we'll just leave that at that. That's for, like, another time. But, uh, yeah, I grew up with my mother. The Italian way. Saw Sundays... Very, very big, close Italian family. And life revolved around food. It definitely did. Um, in 1986 was when my dad left. And, uh, you know, I'm only two years old at that point. I don't remember too much. Uh -huh. I didn't know why he left or, you know, the circumstances until I got older. But as I got into preschool and everything, it started to get more difficult because when you're, you know, when you go into school as a young kid, now I had a lot of, a lot of shit against me. One, I was spoiled. So I always had name brand clothing and, 
in the, in, I wouldn't say the ghetto, because back then it really wasn't considered the ghetto, but it was pretty ghetto. I, I had name brand clothing. My hair was always nicely done and everything. I always had great sneakers on, and I had every single toy and like imaginary to, to any boy. And I was picked on because I was always the biggest kid, always the tallest, always the tallest, always the heaviest. And it was difficult. And I didn't have a fa- I didn't have a man figure. Like I really didn't. My uncle was there, but he was a father to his own kids. He wasn't a father to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had no man to look up to. And uh, you know, growing up like that, it, it could do certain things to a kid, you know. But I was fortunate enough to where, like, my mom and my aunt. You know, they always told me, oh, no, this is, you know, you know, I was not that they taught me to be a boy, but I was just I was fortunate enough to where they loved me enough to where, you know, I just they just let me grow up and be who I was. But along with that, because my dad wasn't around, because I was always the biggest, because I was always the heaviest and because of the way my food dynamic was at home. It it just spiraled into something that I started to lose control over as I got older. Well, when did you start gaining? Well, you were always chubby, like from literal jump. Yeah, I was always overweight. Um, there, there are stories. I, there's so many stories I could say about how when I was not even two years old, and you know, like those little rocking horses, my mom put me on one, and my legs were so fat that they got stuck into the springs. Um, they had to they had to scotch tape my diapers. I mean, duct tape. You mean no, uh, they, scotch tape. They told me duct tape last weekend. Well, then maybe it's... Scotch tape ain't that strong. No, you're right. Maybe that... It is duct tape. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so, like, where do you home. feel like... Like, you asked me, where do you feel like your you your weight issues or where you really started to pick up as far as gaining weight? Like, where do you feel like that started? Um, internalizing it, even as a kid, because kids internalize shit. They mm-hmm. definitely do, and I definitely did, because I saw, you know, kids, you know, bring their fathers their mothers up to you know parent you know um show and tell day like my other friends would bring their dads up to show and tell oh my dad works for construction my dad's a bus driver and not that i couldn't bring my mother sure i could have but my mother was working for macquarie's around the corner trying to support us so you know it's it's tough it's definitely so you feel like when you were in like elementary schools when it really started to pick up oh without a doubt if you look at pictures from 1989 to 1991 i mean i was wearing like at at what 91 i was let's see 84 94 so i was what seven going on eight i was wearing like an extra large t-shirt like that's bad that's very very bad you know so um and even my jeans, my jeans were like, they were loose, but they were like men's jeans. Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't, shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at lunch, you know, my mom would make me a lunch, peanut butter and jelly. She would give me extra crackers. Like, you know, remember the orange peanut butter crackers mm-hmm. instead of one pack, which contained, I don't know back then. I think there was six pack, right? Yeah. I think I had two packs. It's 12 crackers. Um, you remember the, uh, the sips iced teas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have like maybe two or three of those because I was always thirsty. And when you look at that stuff today and you look at the calories. And the sugar. The sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And on top of drinking and eating all that, right? Because again, my mother and them, they weren't into nutrition. I loved them to death, but they weren't worried about their health food-wise. Um, not only was I eating my stuff, other kids would bring stuff from home. Hey, Ryan, I have a cookie. You want some of these cookies? Sure. 
not the fact that we're going into classroom and then oh it's snack time you know you or you know that you want to go to the you know the you know the school store and buy chips or whatever you have with points or whatever you're doing and I would buy food other kids would get toys they would get like jumping uh, you know jump rope or the, the jacks that you throw down some well, kids would get like a little doll me can I have the Twinkies there please <laughs> well I know that you said you know you've told me before that your family like looks forward to food like food is something that is talked about a lot yes food was always looked forward to always talked about even dreamt about um there was a time where I was six years old. My aunt and my mother bought me very expensive Barnum and Bailey circus tickets. And I slept through the entire thing. They wanted to kill me because I slept. There's a picture of me, actually. I have to, my mom has it. Of me sleeping in the seat with cotton candy hanging out of my hand. And I woke up and it was a place around the corner named Jerry's Ribs. At six years old, I turn around and I tell my aunt, are we going to Jerry's Ribs now? with excitement yeah well that's that's that was not what you were raised in that you didn't know that I didn't that know. wasn't wrong it's not or wrong that, it's not normal right that's definitely I mean, not normal. i feel like some kids can get excited about food but like when the entire day which should have been about the circus and the excitement about the circus it wasn't the circus it was the food after oh it was the food during too i remember like can i have circus peanuts can i have elephant peanuts can i have cotton candy yeah. it wasn't the fact that there was a you know a woman on the trapeze or, you know, clowns or nothing, lions and tigers and bears and whatever the fuck that and the circus had. That's because you weren't conditioned or you weren't thought to think that that was something special. And that's when I realized that even if it was something that, because the circus, I don't think I was really interested in. Like, I really didn't give a shit about it. If it was, I was really into, into uh, wrestling as a kid and my idol growing up was Hulk Hogan. But I guarantee you, and I know this now for a fact, if even if it was something that I was interested in and my Aunt Carol actually took me to a wrestling match and Hulk was in the middle of the ring, I would still be asking for soda. I'd still be asking for cotton candy, hot dogs, whatever that was there. And I would have had it because she loved me and she spoiled me. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter what I was, you know, what venue it was, what event it was. It doesn't well, matter. I think a huge part of that is the fact that you did grow up in the in the we're going to say, quote unquote, ghetto because it wasn't as bad then when you were little Mm -hmm. as it ended up getting um but part of that and i i speak from my own observation because my ex-husband also his family was in the projects um they they did not leave the house much because it wasn't that safe and so they would spend their time in their house with each other and and maybe same for you was you you had food to look forward to and video games and things in the house. Mm-hmm. There was a, um, you know, the excitement would be my and Carol. My and Carol used to call me Chubsy, and uh, and I miss her. I miss her every single day. Um, she would say to me, Chubsy, I got ice cream for us, butter pecan, which till this day is my favorite flavor, and uh, I would say to her. Okay, and she'd be like, you better be a good boy, okay? You better make sure, right even before school, because she would be up at 5 in the morning to go to work. She worked in the city. I would get up at 5.30 in the morning. She would lay out oatmeal for me. I'll never forget. It was the Quaker Oats, strawberries, uh, strawberries and cream, and it wasn't one package. She would leave me two, which is an issue right there. So already, just pausing, you see how different 
our upbringings are. Mine was more of like, it wasn't about the food. It was about what was going on. And yours was about the food. Mine was definitely about the food. And it was, it was their habits being pushed on to me. Yeah. Well, I, that's how you were raised. Right. You know, so I, how did that change when you moved to Long Island? Because eventually your neighborhood got so bad that you needed to move out to Long Island. Well, it was until after I got punched in the face from my bike. You know, I got my bike stolen. Um, I had my Hulk Hogan jacket that was like 150 bucks um, stolen out of my cubby because I was the fat kid who got everything that he wanted. Um and the last straw was when I got chased home from my Fila sneakers. Like, that was it. And I obviously, I was heavy. So I was definitely outrun. And then I got beat up by two or three kids. I don't remember if it was two or three. But I got beat up. And they were for my sneakers. And that's when my aunt my mom and everybody got together. And they were like, no, we got to get the hell out of here. Um, but my weight was becoming an issue. Because this was like 94 that they decided that we needed to get out of there to come to Long Island. My weight was definitely an issue because I was 94, I was 10. Because, you know, And that's when 94, your dad so. was coming back around, right? Right. But, and I, my dad would leave me notes from where he was. And, uh, and I looked forward to that. I really, really did. And, uh. You look forward to him coming back. Yes. Yeah. But there was a time where I was so, so embarrassed by this. Um, my my mom and my aunt, they just got a new kitchen set. And it was this, like, wooden chair with, like, wheels on it. And, again, I was 10 years old. And I broke one of the pieces of right in the middle of the chair. Cracked it. And I was, like, so... Im- I was embarrassed, for sure. My uncle had to come upstairs and take a look at the chair, and he was like, how did this crack? Like, And it was because I was too heavy. And it's not that I didn't fit in the seat. I fit in the seat. I think it's because of the way I just plopped down on it, and I just cracked it. You know, now, yeah. at 10 years old, I was probably about 10. I was probably about like 175, 180. It's a heavy kid. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I was tall. So I just plopped myself down, and weight, my weight just cracked the chair right in the middle. Anyway... Um, I remember begging my mother, see, my mom won't remember a lot of this, but I remember begging my mother to please have it fixed before my dad came back because I didn't, I was embarrassed, you know, and I didn't have a relationship with my dad. So I wanted to make sure that like, I wasn't embarrassed when he got there. Yeah. And you wanted to make sure probably everything was perfect because you had been waiting. Right. Right. I remember the day that, uh, my dad came back, um, my Aunt Carol wasn't happy, you know, with the whole circumstance and everything. And uh, my mom was okay. She, you know, she knew my dad was coming to see me, whatever. And um, I remember just being so, so happy. And then when I ran out in the hallway to see him and he gave me a hug and whatever. And uh, I remember the first thing, you know, he said to me was, look at your, look at your outfit. Very, very nice. Like, you know, because I, I had feelers on, I had... Like, you know, Lee jeans, I had a Bugle Boy t-shirt, everything was name brand. Mm-hmm. Then we walked into the house and I said to him, hey, dad, you want to play Super Nintendo? And he was like, maybe in a little bit. I said, or I have Sega Genesis or I have Nintendo or I have TurboGrafx-16. I have um, Virtual Boy. I had everything, Game Boy, I had everything. And he was like, oh, you got all this, huh? And I'm like, yeah. 
I know he probably felt some type of way about it because he wasn't around. Mm-hmm. And I had, his son had all this stuff. Again, oblivious, I'm a child. I don't know. I hear my mom and him arguing a little bit back and forth, back and forth. Time for me to go to the doctor. I think I explained all this on Gourmet's uh, podcast episode where I took my shirt off in front of my dad and he came up to me and was like, what, what are those? Referring to my chest. And he was like, women have boobies, men don't. And right away I just covered up and... He just said to my mother, he he mumbled something to my mom, and I was like, really? Like, that was the first time as a kid, you know, in your head you think things like, asshole. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, what a dick, right? My mom, I right feel away, like that was probably really disappointing for you. For sure. Because you Very had waited so long to, to have this relationship that you'd probably dreamed up. Yeah. In your friggin' wild unicorn ride of an imagination mm-hmm. because if you know Ryan he's fucking out there and what did my mom do she comforted me with food right she so, came right over to me and said hey we're gonna go for Chinese and right away I lit up like the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center yeah that was your way of coping yeah we went for Chinese food and he said something again to me he said look at the way he's eating that will stick with me forever and I was just Really, really hurt by that. Fast forward, we moved out to Long Island. My weight was getting worse. By the age of 14, we went for a checkup. At the age of 14, I weighed 315 pounds. What was going on from the age of 10 to the age of 14 with your, with like at home with your family? Everything was okay for the most part. Um, when I was, everything was okay, was okay up until that point. I was still suppressing my you know my feelings by eating my emotions especially with my dad because I didn't see my dad for a while um even after that you're saying even after that yeah I, so you know, the first time you saw him it was super disappointing and right. then you continued to really not see him after that which is probably right I imagine wasn't the best for you and then aside from eating my feelings the dynamic with food just got worse because we moved out to a house you know now there's 12, 13 people in one home, you know, two separate homes up upstairs and downstairs. You had three levels. Well, the basement wasn't done yet. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But um, the food dynamic just got worse because we all had the same food issue. Mm-hmm. Eating out constantly, always ordering in pizza and Chinese and all this garbage with sodium and drinking soda and having desserts. Like making cookies was like every two nights my mom would make cookies or brownies with walnuts and like. Have vanilla ice cream on top. My aunts didn't like to leave the house. As much as I loved them, rest in peace, they didn't like to leave the house. So, Because that's that project mentality. It's right. not safe to leave the house. So we would just, they would put two vanilla scoops of ice cream, you know, two vanilla scoops of ice cream, put it on top of the, the brownie, have it like a nice brownie sundae. And that was like every other night. Every other night. Your mom was basically, and I love her. And I've never said that like online publicly, but we know I love your mom. But your mom is basically like an unsupervised five year old as a parent because she's making brownies with ice cream and macaroni and cheese and all these wonderful like, you know, kid things. But not, but not, but that's what I'm saying. Like you had grown women that were in their 50s, 40s. Eating that shit. Yeah. Eating like a five year old. Yeah. 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 I mean, because it's cheap. Don't get me wrong, like tacos and french fries sounds delicious, and it is good together. It doesn't go together. 
No, I'm, you were like the first person I heard really say anything like right. that. When I first met no. you, I was like, wait, what? Sloppy Joes. As I got older, we would make Sloppy Joes on Kaiser Rolls. And I would eat like five Kaiser Rolls with like Sloppy Joes. But to be fair, that's all I would eat all day. But that's still a lot. I would have like orange juice or Tang or Kool-Aid or even, um, what's that called? Uh, Crystal Light, which mm-hmm. is really, really bad with the aspartame. I would drink that all day or fruit punch or whatever it was all day long. Maybe have like a sandwich earlier in the day and then have like four or five Sloppy Joe sandwiches at night. Well, and in that, because I know you, you'd be just playing video games, which wasn't moving your body. You weren't encouraged to go outside. It wasn't until I hit the age of 15. Well, no, actually, no. It wasn't until really the age when I moved out here in Long Island. Um, Yeah, I got interested in girls young. But it wasn't enough to be like, oh, right, maybe you should slow down with your weight. You know, because you know how boys are. We get a little self-conscious about our bodies. Oh, you know, maybe we want to start working out. Especially if you were getting girls at your weight. Like, why? why? Just never stopped. It didn't prohibit you. No, it didn't. I still had my phone next to me while I was eating Chinese food and playing video games. Girls would be texting me. Well, also, I I do want to say that's like the one thing that you and I do have in common about growing up is that... Neither one of us ever had a problem, like, pulling people. Like, attracting the other opposite sex? Never. No. I never had a problem. Neither did I. Yeah, so that's kind of funny because... That's because I'm a good-looking man. And that's because I'm a good-looking girl. But th- that's the coolest thing is because a lot of people, I think, that are overweight or super, you know, obese have a lot of confidence issues. And that's the one thing that the, neither one of us had. No, I didn't have any confidence despite issues. Despite all the bullshit. And despite your dad saying what he said and my family, you know, had saying things that they said, Mm -hmm. you know, I know for me, like when I was younger, I would do dance and I was good. I was really good. I was probably one of the best in my class. Mm -hmm. And my teachers would amp me up. They would have me be in the front. They would have me help people. They would, you know what I mean? And that really like brought my confidence up. I mean, not in the area of boys, like boys wanted me, but I, I didn't think they wanted me. I was right. like, um, they, no, you couldn't possibly be looking at me. They would still be, like, even before you, I'm going to be honest with you, um, you know, Stephen would say to me, hey, you know, Stephen's my best friend, by yeah. the way. Stephen would say, uh, he was like, oh, look at that girl over there. And she'd be thin. She had a nice body. And I'd be like, oh. He'd be like, go talk to her. And I'd be like, no. He'd be like, why not? Like, I don't know. But then I would see a girl that's a little bit thicker, that's a little chubby. And he'd be like, you want to go talk to that, right? And I'd be like, What's wrong with that? And he'd be like, the reason why is because you're a big guy. You think that's all you're going to be able to get. He was like, you can't have that type of mentality. I'm like, it's not that I have that mentality, but kind of sort of is. Yeah, no, that was never me. I, I, I kind of sort and not, <laughs> listen, not not that I have like a type or anything. Well, maybe I do. Yeah, maybe you do. But, I, you know, it's just that and, and even if I was thinner, Allie, I would still go for you because to me, you're absolutely beautiful. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have the, as I got older, I wouldn't have the confidence to go up to a girl that I knew or that I thought in my head, like maybe, oh, wow, you know, she's she's got a really nice body. She ain't going to fucking want me. I look like a beached whale. Well, it was the same thing with me, except I didn't believe like guys would look at me and I would get like embarrassed. I'd be like, oh my God, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Are you sure? Like, are you sure he's looking at you? You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to say this in stereotype, but I do think not, not because of you. I'm not saying this because of you. It is a lot easier for a woman to find a man or a woman to get a man, I should say, 
than it is for a guy to ha- strike up the confidence to go get a girl because men yeah, will come to you. Yeah, that's the one area where you guys have it rough. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah. I would hate to do that. But when I was younger, my friends would always say, like, they'd be like, God damn, Allie again. She just gets these guys. Like, they're fucking hot. How do you do it? And a lot of my friends, some of them still to this day are single, and I love them, but, like... I, I think it genuinely came down to my confidence, my ability to just be who I am and hang out instead of, you know, trying to, like, if a guy was looking at me, I didn't believe it until they would come up to me and talk to me, and then I was like, oh, all right, okay. And I could relax a little bit. Oblivious. Yeah, I know. And um, Till this day. (laughs) And... Unfucking believable. And they now I believe still don't like while they're even in it if the guy has confirmed yes I'm interested in you I'm talking to you they still get all like weird you know so maybe that's that's where it ended up working out for me anyway we're supposed to be talking about our family so yes so let's you go. got interested in girls yes I got interested in girls but it wasn't enough to be like hey I gotta reel this in you know like wasn't enough um I didn't start thinking about trying to maybe change my weight until I got sick when I was 17 years old and I had to spend the time in the hospital. I'm not going to go through the whole story again with the arrhythmia, but I went to eventually because and got sick. you already sick. discussed it on Fat Guy Forum. If you're interested in that story, go listen to the Fat yes. Guy Forum. Yes. So I got sick with arrhythmia when I lost a significant amount of weight in the hospital within two weeks. Went back to high school and I was a little bit lighter. I, you know, I, I weighed my senior year of high school. I was pushing almost 400 and when I went back to when I actually started the, my senior year, I went from almost three three eighty to three ninety, down to about two eighty five, two ninety. Oh, so that's I, a lot of weight. Yeah. So it was. I couldn't remember. I'm listen. I, I could be exaggerating a little bit, but I know it was anywhere from like eighty pounds to one hundred pounds. I lost in a matter of like two 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 weeks to a month. They were like legit. I'm not even bullshitting. Legit starving me. <laughs> in the hospital. Yeah. Giving me nothing but vegetables. Like, th- you'll hear the whole story. But anyway, um, it was severe. Severe. I had to have procedures done. It, it was a mess. But within anywhere from the month that I was almost in that hospital to the time I later on, about month and a half, and I returned from my senior year of school, mm-hmm. I was about, I would say the most, I was probably about 80 pounds lighter. Within a matter of a month or so. So that, why why did that make you think about losing weight? Because the doctor was serious as shit when so he came in. So you got scared. Yeah, he said to me, listen, you're, you're 17 years old. You're 387 pounds. Like, what, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen if you go past this? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a kid, so I'm like shrugging my shoulders because- You probably I, had never thought about it before because- No. Sidebar- Nobody really in your family, which is the very opposite of my family, mm-hmm. nobody in your family, everybody in your family was big. And there were people in my family that are that are overweight as well. But no but, one is, was as heavy as I was. True. But nobody in your family, even though they weren't as heavy as you were, made it a problem. It was not a problem until a doctor said something to you. Right. No they one, never made you feel bad about it. No, no, no. They never did. There were some yeah. times where, like, my mom and my aunts would be like, you know, Ryan, not for nothing, but, you know, we're going to, we got to order you clothes from King Size Direct. And, like, you know, it's getting expensive, you know, because you're pushing into a 4X, 5X, can't buy them in stores. 
And, you know, this is getting expensive. That wasn't about your weight. That was more about, like, you're fucking costing us money, kid. Right. That's exactly (laughs) what it was coming down to. Yeah. Um, So for me, my weight was constantly brought to my attention because, and it was bad. Like, you got to lose weight. What are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? You know, and then when, when I would do things that would, that would be not loving myself and not taking care of myself, I would get made fun of. I, you know, I actually asked my mom about the whole time period of me going into the hospital and my senior year. As a matter of fact, I actually started my senior year. In the was, hospital, right? No, no. I actually asked her about this. No. And there, how I know this is because I have the class picture of me, which I have to find it. I don't see if I could find it. I'll post it. But um, of me, I'm wearing like this beige plaid shirt. Mm-hmm. And I was pushing 400. And then I have a picture, no bullshit, of me about a month and a half later. And it looks like two different people. Mm-hmm. And You should get that together and post it. Yeah, I definitely should. Um, because people were like, a month? You lost almost 100 pounds? No bullshit. I would not lie to you. Like yeah. I, I legit did. They were like... They were feeding me. I don't know what the fuck they were feeding me. They were feeding me these big blue pills. I was very restricted with my eating. They wanted me to drink Probably water fentermine. and like propel water all day long. And I tried sneaking food in. If you listen to Gourmet's podcast again, you'll hear the whole thing about how I tried to sneak food in and bribe the other kid. But um, I think you actually talked about that here too. I think so too. Yeah. But I uh, I remember going back into high school. People were like, "Holy shit!" and that was the first time I started to care a tiny bit yeah. because girls were like, hey, and I'm like, hey. And, you know, I started to look a little bit different. I carried myself a little bit differently. My skin was saggy. I remember my fucking tits were like all the way down. And, uh, you know, but girls didn't see that. You know, I got told all the time that I was a good looking kid and I was just like, oh, okay. I would hang out with the girls and just, you know, throw my, you know, flirting around and throw everything around and, uh. It, it never dawned upon. And then what happened was I started to gain weight again. Started mm-hmm. to gain weight again. She didn't change your lifestyle. No, not at all. Well, and then I feel like the health of your family started to go downhill, which also contributed. Well, that was, to, you know, after relationship after relationship after relationship, which I had, um, you know, and I went through some tough times with relationships. You know, I was in two oh, really... yeah. Well, the people you picked were not reflective of your worth either. Well, not even that, but, like, I sometimes wonder if I was thinner or if I didn't have the issues that I had where... I'm going to be open with this, where it was very hard for me to have sex with those women, and I couldn't because of my weight, so it put a big strain on a relationship, of course, because even though sex is not everything, you know, it, it does... It, it matters. It does matter in a relationship. Yeah. Um, I think also, just to add to your point, like... Oh, fuck, I completely forgot what I was saying. Well, let me let me just finish. I, I think that after all those relationships, you know, I have to go around to, like I said, to the part where it got worse because I was at my all-time heaviest of 574 pounds. Mm-hmm. I met my ex-wife. At she, that weight. At that weight. She wanted me to lose weight. And I did it just to be with her. I didn't do it for myself. I was tired of losing people, I thought, because of my weight. And she, you know, at that point in time was probably one of the better caliber people that you had been with. She was. um, And I also didn't want to, this is sad to say, but like I was so tired of like not having a normal sex life 
that I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do anything, it's to, to try to better myself with this, mm-hmm. that I need to do something for myself. And uh, I ended up moving out. We got married and I had the gastric sleeve done in 2014, went down to from 438 pounds, four, sorry, 448 pounds. And I got down to my lowest, which was around 275 and uh, I was, people were complimenting me, looking great. But behind the scenes, my ex-wife and I started to part. And that happens sometimes when couples have either weight loss surgery or one loses weight and the other one doesn't want to. And that happened. There were times where she wanted to lose weight, like, a lot. And she tried, and I didn't want to. And I just feel like also, like, because you and I have very similar stories with regards to our marriages... Like neither one of our needs were being met in our marriages. But it, but to be fair, and I will say this: not only were my my needs not met, her needs weren't met either. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure for him as well. Because, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just. But that's two good people who right. weren't good together. We Correct. say that all the time. All together. But, in saying that, because I know for me that definitely contributed to the way that I was eating, because I was emotionally eating and suppressing that. Same. But I was I was going backwards because I had the surgery. I lost my weight. Well, not completely. I should have definitely lost more than gotten down to 275 pounds. I should have definitely, definitely lost more. But because of the situation and the issues we were having, I started to go the opposite way and I started to gain weight. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, I got divorced or whatever and, you know, I met you, you know, it really... And I've been to therapy. I'm not going to lie and say I haven't. I've discussed some of my issues in therapy. And it's true. I mean, like we were talking about this whole episode, family matters. It's the issues that you have during your upbringing Mm -hmm. that make you who you are today. They create the patterns that you carry. They create the, your relationship with food. But it's up to you if you are in denial, which I was very much so, Mm -hmm. to snap out of it and say, you know what? This, who I am, I, my way is not working and I don't give a fuck what I believe. I need to really take a step back and think about what is going on here because it's true. And like I just said before, earlier in in this episode, I hated my ex-wife because when me and her would talk, she told me straight out, you're an emotional eater. And I would say to her, what are you talking about? She's like, you have a bad day. You come home, you want to eat pizza or you want Taco Bell and you would feel me out. You would call me while I'm at work and say, hey, I had a shit day. What do you want from Taco Bell? And if I told you, if I told you, yeah, well, okay, I'll, we'll get that. We'll get it. But if I said, no, we have food in the house. There's vegetables. There's chicken. Make that. You would give me an attitude for it. And she was right. right you would do the same thing to me too, except right. not on as large of a scale. Right. Even even before the, the both of us moved in together, you... You know, when you got divorced, you didn't really want to move back into your house because you knew, you know, the habits that you had left were still there and you didn't want to go back to that. Well, it's just that living in that basement, being by myself at 574 pounds in that basement where I would do nothing but eat and sleep, shit and play video games all day long. Mm -hmm. It just brought back really, really bad memories for me. And that's something that I wasn't ready to face. I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to go back to it. Mm hmm. Because what happened was when I left there, I got better. So I thought it might be the house, but it wasn't. But I'm going to tell you this straight out. It wasn't the house. It was I needed to get right with me. Right. Because that's not the the house didn't. The house 
wasn't making me, it, it was me. It was my habits. It was me as a grown man, as an adult to say, you know what? These eating habits aren't right. I know right from wrong. I know fucking tacos and French fries. They might be delicious together, but they don't go together. I think eating also five, eating five, eating five fucking sandwiches of, of, uh, of sloppy Joe's or having four chicken cutlets. That's not proper. I, and I know that now it took me 35 and a half years yeah. to, for the switch to be like, Hey, you know, but there's also, again, which is I, what I try to tell people, which I try to tell people on a constant basis, you need to figure out your why. Well, I think what I was saying before was when you had to go back and up until you and I moved in together, right before we moved in together, you were starting to experience more anxiety, more stress being home because, number one, you didn't want to go back there in the first place. Right. And number two, then being back there and whatever was going on was was upsetting to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you were eating up until you and I decided, you know, we're not doing this anymore. You were eating to to compensate for that, right? Well, yes, but what what really got me to finding Noah and to really wanting to do something about this and do some really d- like deep searching within myself uh, was me getting onto the plane and having to literally my back and shoulders take up two seats, having to ask for the seatbelt extender and having to have people look at me like I'm a fucking sideshow attraction. So it was like another wake up call. Yeah. And, and also the thought of, Again, because I was made aware of certain things now, sitting there thinking to myself, I had gastric sleeve surgery. I laid up on a fucking table and I got cut open. My insides were rearranged. Well, they weren't rearranged, but they were cut. Mm-hmm. 90% of my stomach got taken out. Yeah. What the fuck did I do this for? So that's why after we came back, like I didn't, this was going to Florida. I didn't want us to have like a shitty time going. I just kept it to myself, I, which I internalized, which was a, a bad thing to do. But I, coming back, I knew it was going to be go time. Yeah. I knew that. And I didn't want to say anything to you because I didn't know, you probably would have said, and I, not that I needed you to do this with me. Well, the both of us kept saying to each other, we were like, we got to, like something's got to change. Something, we yeah. can't, because we were enabling each other. We were being fat fucks together. And I was preying on you. What I mean, what I mean by that is, I would like a say creep. No, no, no. What I mean by that is, I would wait for you to have a low point, and I did that to my ex-wife a lot. I think I had it before you. No, 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 no. What, you remember before Noah? I was like, "Come on, we're gonna do this," and I would make you shit, and you would get so mad at me, You're like this isn't enough food. No, 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 no. I don't mean by that. I don't mean by that. What I mean by is, and I again, I said I did this to my ex-wife too, which I realized is that I would wait for you or her, but when I was with her, to have a low point where she didn't want to be on the diet or she had a bad day, and I would prey on that. And what I mean by that is, you did it too. You'd be like, I had a fight with my brother or I had a fight with my mom, and I'd be like, I'm having such a shitty day. And I would say to you, you want to go grab food? Because normally if you were having a good day and you were upbeat and you were fine, you'd be like, I'm just going to go home and make dinner or make myself lunch or whatever. But I would try to weasel my way in and say, hey, you know, you want to get Chinese? Because that's my drug. Yeah, you're definitely, we're very, very different. It's two different severe levels. 
and severity, I would, levels severity, of severity, sever, levels of severity. Excuse me, my <laughs> fucking. I think I that's, need a thesaurus is what I need. That's the coolest thing I think about us and about doing this is because, you know, so many different people come from so many different backgrounds and so many different family situations that shape the way they have a relationship with food and the way they carry themselves, you know, or cope or, you know, do anything. And we can shed light on that and say, you know, maybe someone relates to me and and my bullshit and maybe somebody relates to you and your bullshit. And, and we can help people understand that it's not just we like McDonald's. Right. You know, I, I, I actually don't even really like McDonald's, but that's a completely different story. So hopefully, you know, us sharing our experiences with our upbringings and our families and how that has shaped our our today and to how we've gotten to the point we are at is is resonating with someone um, and makes you feel less alone, makes you feel understood or heard because... For me, in my story, I that's what I needed. I needed to feel heard. I needed to feel understood. I needed to feel like someone under like got me because up until therapy, nobody got me except you know a few select friends. The whole point of this episode is to realize that this comes from within you. If you want to be that person that you want to be, you want that body that you want, you know. We've been doing this for only a few months, but we've had we've had um, experience and uh, and we've experimented with dieting before and trying to change the lifestyle before. Mm-hmm. This is the most that we've stayed consistent. Sure, we had to take responsibility for ourselves because it gets to a point where yes, your family and everything shapes this shapes you know your weight and your relationship with food and the habits you form. Yes, but when you are an adult, you can't fall back on that because at that point it's your responsibility that's that's my point and you need to take responsibility for yourself and make a change if that's what you want to do that's what i would you literally took the words out of my mouth it it, like i said you have to do some dig you have to do some deep digging within yourself and realize and that's where i took it back to where i tell people when everyone says oh you know wow you look great like what's your secret I found my why, yeah. why I need to do this. It's not because, oh, gee, I, I want to look good. I, I want to do this for Instagram. I want to do this for Facebook. No, I want to do this so I can live. I want a life with you. I want to be able to not bend over and pull something in my stomach, which is a hernia. I want to be able to not have back issues. I want to be able to be able to maybe run. You want some freedom. I want my freedom. Uh-huh. And because of the new mentality that I found and I, because I found my why, which is why we're doing this podcast. I know it's going to sound cheesy, but I feel that much closer to free. (laughs) Well, all right. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, you could please DM me on Instagram, um, at working on Ryan with this two underscores. So working underscore on underscore Ryan and at Allie's, Ascend yourself. A S as in Sam, C as in Cat, E N as in Nancy, D as in Dog. Yo self. You know what? I said. I know. I said that name's great, but it, it's dumb. You know something? <laughs> I can't freaking win. All right, guys. Until next time. Uh, we love all that love us. We want to thank you for 
standing behind us and the community has just been great. Uh, I do want to say, I do want to take this time to tell everybody about the Accountability Life Group, um, where every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you really should download the Discord app if you want. The, the link is in my bio. You really should join. Great group of people. It's ran by John Arpino. You could find him at, at Jarp's Journey. And um, it's um, just a really, really great, 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 great uh, call with a group of people. And I invite all to join. Allie, do you have anything you want to add? That's all, folks. Allie? Smell you later. Can't stand you. I really can't stand you. Everybody wants Love you, baby. to be closer to free.